0: God bless you, my beloved. Good morning. This is Minister S. N. Crockett, Jr. with Jesus Christ, our Lord, Christian Fellowship. Coming to you on the 10th of May, Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers. We thank God for you, for your nurturing, for your strength, for your innumerable sacrifices that you've made in order to raise your children. We thank God for you. We thank God in Christ for you. We're going to Come today, we're going to continue our teaching on how do we grow in grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. After having studied 1 John, how do we grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Remember, we said G-R-A-C-E is an acronym. We're using it as an acronym, God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. How do we grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? After having studied First John, so we're going to pick up where we left off on Thursday. We're going to pick up. Remember, uh, some of the things, some of the things you're going to hear me say, uh, I'm, I'm going to sound like I'm repeating myself, and the reason I'm going to sound like that is because I am and the reason i'm repeating myself in some cases is some of the things that john said in his first epistle which is what we're we're using as our springboard he he repeats himself one of the main things that he has to repeat he has to keep talking about the false teachers who satan was using to infiltrate the the christian church anytime god does something satan comes behind to counterfeit what God has done. This is this is a this is a pattern throughout the uh, history of uh, God's people. Anytime God does something, Satan comes behind what God has done and and to to destroy it, one of the best ways to destroy something is to produce a close imitation. And so God uh, gives us the gospel of his son, Jesus. Satan comes behind the, the preaching of the gospel, the true gospel, the gospel that honors God, that honors Christ. Satan comes behind with a cheap, cheap inversion, what some people, what the Bible calls another gospel. The Bible even uses the term another Jesus. It uses that term. And so what happens is people who are not aware, people who are not discerning, they will choose the false gospel instead of the true gospel. That's why the name of our our program is the truth of the gospel. Paul talked about in Galatians 2 and 5, the truth of the gospel, the truth of the gospel. Because when Paul uh, set up the Galatian church, he and his co-workers his fellow workers, his fellow ministers, shortly after that, uh, false teachers would come in and pervert what Paul had taught, what Paul and and his other companions had taught. That's why you hear Paul say in the first chapter of Galatians, after his traditional apostolic greeting, he says in Galatians, I want to say it's 1 and 6, He says i marvel that you are so soon removed he's speaking to the galatian christians he says i marvel that you are so soon removed from him who called you into the grace of christ by another gospel then he says which is not another but some would pervert the gospel of christ even in the parable of the tares, if you look at the parable of the wheat and the tares in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus talked about, and I want to I spend a little time in that parable of the wheat and the tares because that parable really helps to set the foundation for what we want to talk about today. Listen to what the Lord Jesus said in Matthew 13 after we pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we bless you and we thank you, we glorify you, we praise you for all things through your dear Son, Jesus. We just ask you continually for your mercy and your grace, your kindness, your love. We ask that you help us to demonstrate those those spiritual attributes, those Christian attributes toward others, Lord. Help us to manifest the fruit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit according to your good, acceptable, and perfect will. We ask that you help us to discern the truth from error. We ask that you sustain those, supernaturally sustain those churches that really love you and that are trying to stay afloat in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. Supernaturally, Lord, by your power, by your grace, by your mercy, by your exceedingly great power, supernaturally sustain those leaders and those congregants, Lord who want to remain as intact churches, Lord. We ask that by your power, your glory, your grace, your goodness, you are able, for there is nothing too hard for you, Lord. Blessed be your name forever. Through Jesus, your dear Son, we pray that as a result of this preaching and teaching, and preaching and teaching all over the world, we pray that there will be fruiting gifts of the Holy Spirit, a great manifestation, Lord, of fruit and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to your good, acceptable, and perfect will by your dear Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So if you go to the parable of the wheat and the tares, Matthew 13 is full of parables. It's like Matthew 13 is uh, full of what we call kingdom parables. Uh, And he spoke several parables and then his disciples were especially His disciples were especially interested in the parable of the wheat and the tares. That one, that one really got their attention. And so Jesus wanting to teach his disciples those who had an ear to hear, those who would become the foundation of the New Testament church, not, not, not long after this uh, setting here. In in Matthew 13 and 37, well, let me go back to verse 36. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, because he had been teaching these kingdom parables. He went into the house. His disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. Now, he had spoken several parables. The parable of the, of the uh, sower, which is also... Uh, you know, a, a very important parable. They're all important, but uh, actually, he's, he's, he spoke the parable of the of the sower. And then he gave the parable of the wheat and the tares. And his disciples said, "Now that parable of the wheat and the tares, that one, that one, uh, we you know that that will, that really piqued our interest. Declare unto us, if you will, Lord, the parable of the tares." He answered and said unto them, "He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man." You see that? He's explaining the parable. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. But the tares are the children of the wicked one. Remember, after the good seed had been sown, the enemy came, the devil. He's going to explain the enemy is the devil. For those of you who don't believe there's a literal devil, Jesus said the enemy is the devil. After the good seed had been sown, because Satan still has a certain amount of control in the earth, the Bible calls him the prince of this world. The Bible calls him the the, uh, the, the God of this world. The Bible calls him one who is over a kingdom of principalities, powers, spiritual wickedness in high places. He still exerts a certain amount of authority in the world. We may not want to admit it, But he does. Yes, Jesus did defeat him at the cross, but that defeat has not yet. Finally, uh, all of the proponents, all of the parts of that defeat have not yet been manifested. They won't be manifested until God's fullness of time. So he said, "He, he that soweth the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. But the tares are the children of the wicked one did, did Did you hear that? See there are some people who teach that we're all you know children of God and we're all going to live eternally with no that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible does not teach that we're all children of God and that we're all going to live in bliss with with god uh you know on some sunny farm. That's not what the bible the Bible doesn't teach that. And those of us who believe the Bible is God's word, we believe the Bible is, is the final authority on such, ma- on such matters. The enemy that sowed the tares is the devil. Do you see that? The enemy that sowed the tares is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. So we have the good seed sown by the Son of Man, who would be Jesus. We have the tares, the weeds, if you will, sown by the those are the children of the wicked one, sown by, planted by the devil, Satan. Right? But there will be a harvest at the end of the world, because if you go back to the first part of the parable, when the when the when the when the good man, when the when the son of man sowed the seed, the good seed, the workers, when they noticed the tares, they said, "Do you want us to pull up the tares and the and the son of man, the the good man who sowed the seed?" he said, "No, let both grow together until the appointed time then i'll send you know I'll send my people out to separate the wheat from the tares." so here he's explaining that that would be the harvest if you read the book of Revelation and you read in the Olivet discourse." In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we see where where angels are sent out to reap the harvest of the world. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I'm letting evil. What he's saying in essence is I'm letting good and evil grow together. Now, the stage of the kingdom of God that we're in right now, listen carefully here, because this one is you are going to have to have a spiritual ear to really accept this. The stage of the kingdom of God that we're in right now is a stage where the kingdom is composed of both good and evil. The kingdom of God right now is not is not in its final form. The stage of the kingdom of God that we're in right now, and there are several parables that give witness to this, but right now we're talking about the parable of the wheat and the tares. The stage of the kingdom of God that we're in right now is where the kingdom of God is composed of good and evil. You may you might say, well, how would God why would God allow evil into his kingdom? He allows it for his own purpose, but it's temporary, and temporary in God's from God's point of view could be hundreds, even thousands of years. Our responsibility is to make sure we are not tares. (laughs) Our responsibility is to make sure we're wheat, the children of the kingdom. But he says the harvest is the end of the world, or this age, the Greek would say the cosmos. The reapers are the angels, and as therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The son of man shall send forth his angels. Who's the son of man? It's Jesus. He's saying this, watch this. He makes this statement before he's crucified, which, which lets us know he knows his crucifixion is just a, is temporary. He knows his death by crucifixion is temporary. Because if he didn't know, he wouldn't make this statement. This statement can only occur on the other side of the cross he says the son of man shall send forth his angels and they shall gather out of his kingdom notice remember i said his kingdom right now in the present stage his kingdom is composed of both authentic and counterfeit and god is allowing that that's why if you go back to the beginning part of the parable when the servants came and saw that the weeds had grown up among the wheat they said, "Do you want us to pull the weeds up?" And the and the and the good man who had sown the seed said, "No, no, no, no. Let them let them both grow together until it, until such a time that I I decide." In other words, he said, "If you pull up the weeds, you'll injure the wheat." Right now he's explaining that there will come a time when the wheat and the tares will be separated. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom. See that? They shall gather out of his kingdom. So the Lord has a fullness of time. And we can't manipulate that fullness of time. We can't hurry it up. No, the Lord, the Bible says in the fullness of time, God does things. He sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. God does everything in the fullness of his time, not the fullness of our time. Remember, the Lord is king. We are subjects in his kingdom. The subjects don't tell the king what to do. The subjects don't say, hey, king, you know, you need to hurry this up. No, not in this kingdom. The son of man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity. Remember, there's going to come a day when the Lord is going to say, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity, I never knew you. See, right now, the workers of iniquity are part of God's kingdom. Read the the parable of the wheat and the tares right now the workers of iniquity are a part of God's kingdom and 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 the lord says there there's going to come a day when i'm going to send my angels forth and they're going to they're going to the only this separation can only come by divine decree if we try to make that separation if we try to you know uh destroy false churches you know, burn them down and stuff like that. We we, we we don't have the authority to do that. We can't do that. You can't. You may believe a certain branch of Christianity is, is evil and heretical and, and uh, doesn't represent the teachings of Jesus and his apostles. And you may want to set a fire to every one of those particular houses of worship or, or, or shun those people. You can't do that. We don't have the authority to do that 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 would be where the servant said do you want us to go and pull up the wheat I mean pull up the tares and the, and the and the and the and the master of the house having the wisdom said no 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 you'll do more damage than good you see that we have to trust in the lord's wisdom we know that there are certain parts of christianity we know that there are those who profess christianity who are not really christians we know this those of us who study God's word, those of us who are true to the gospel, those of us who have an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches, but we also know that we don't have the authority, really, to do anything about it except live a godly life, and preach a true gospel, the truth of the gospel, if you will. But we don't have the authority to uh, initiate, you know, to try to tear down and burn down. That would be uh, antithetical to the teachings of Jesus, especially as it concerns this parable here. The son of man shall send forth his angels and they shall gather out of his kingdom, his angels, his kingdom. That's, that's important. His angels. He said his angels. They shall gather out of his kingdom, all things that offend and them which do iniquity. He says he shall do this. And shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has an ear, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then he goes on to give another parable. Another kingdom parable. And then another kingdom parable. And then another kingdom parable. But the the parable of the wheat and the tares... Sometimes you'll see the word "tears." uh, you'll see it translated wheat, weeds, weeds. That parable is applicable to what we're talking about today. We grow in grace and knowledge when we aren't too afraid or politically correct to test the spirits, whether they are of God. You see, we don't have the authority to kill people. We don't have the authority of the the go ahead from the Lord Jesus Christ to uh, do certain things to people. But we do have the authority to uh, shun works of evil. We do have the authority to expose works of evil that are attempting to uh, uh, um, violate is the best word I can think of right now uh, contaminate, I guess is a better word. We do have a right and a responsibility to expose teachings or teachers that attempt to ex to, um, contaminate the body of Christ that we are part of. We do have that right and authority. John says right here, test the spirits. He said that in John four and one first John four and one, he says, test the spirits, whether they are of God, Now, you have to understand that statement in the context of his time and what he was teaching. There were false teachers who had infiltrated the Christian church, churches that John was uh, responsible for. And they were teaching, among other things, that God did not become flesh in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. They were teaching that because all matter is evil, which is not, but they were teaching that all matter is evil, and because according to them all matter is evil, God could not have become matter in the person of the incarnation of His Son Jesus. So these false teachers were teaching against John 1 and 14. Uh, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. They were teaching against First Timothy 3 and 16, where Paul said to his spiritual son, Timothy, he said, great is the mystery of godliness. You hear that? It's a mystery. It was a mystery that wasn't revealed until God's appointed time. Great is the mystery of godliness. Let me. I'm going to it right now. First Timothy three sixteen. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. So Paul said the same thing there that John said in John one and fourteen. That's why I keep telling you, if you're going to study God's word, especially if you're going to teach God's word, you have to have concurring scriptures. You can't just have one scripture. To uh, to make your point, because there's a spiritual rule in the Bible. It says out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, every truth is established. So if you're going to teach and I always use the silly example, if you're going to teach that Jesus wore purple bell bottoms on the day before he was crucified and you don't have any scriptures to back that up. Don't teach it. Don't believe it because you have no foundation. You have no scriptural justification for saying that. And if you only have one passage, you may want to, you know, rethink that thesis because one passage and that passage, you may not understand it the way you should. You need as many scriptures as you can. Your baseline is two or three. It's like in law enforcement. If they want to identify somebody by fingerprints, they normally use anywhere between eight and 12 markings to say, yeah, that's his fingerprint or that's her fingerprint. Eight might be the baseline, the lowest they'll go, the be- the more, the better. So the more scriptures, the more scriptures you have to justify your particular point teaching, the better. So here, John 1 and 14 is 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 uh, is, is borne witness to by what Paul says in First Timothy. They're both speaking. They're both writing. They're both uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. How? Through his dear son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. He was justified in the spirit. He was seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, relieved on in the world, and then what? Received up into glory. So what, is, what does Paul say to Timothy? And John says, anybody who doesn't believe this, John says those individuals are uh, heretics they're false teachers god became flesh the spirit bore witness right justified in the spirit the holy spirit bore witness so did angels he was preached unto the gentiles he was believed on in the world then after he rose from the dead 40 days after he rose from the dead he was received up in the glory he ascended to the right hand of the father So Paul, in essence, gives the ministry of Jesus from incarnation to ascension. John says, and and he says, John says, Beloved, anybody who does not believe this is false. The Greek word for false is where we get the word pseudo. Like a pseudonym is a false name. It's a name a writer might use. The writer's writer's name might be Samuel Clemens, but he he might use the name Mark Twain. So the Greek word for like false prophet would be pseudo prophet, a false prophet. And so so John says, John says, believe not every spirit, because there are spirits, there are evil demonic spirits in this world that will imitate the Holy Spirit. And we have to be mature and discerning to know which is which. So. We cannot be afraid to be politically, we cannot be afraid or too politically correct to uh, test the spirits, whether they are, we can't say, oh, we don't want our judge. We don't want to, no, we better judge. The Bible doesn't tell us not to judge. The Bible tells us don't judge unrighteously. The Bible never tells us don't judge at all. That's a trick of the devil when, when people try to use that, especially against Christians. Who are you to judge? Well, the Bible tells us you better judge. If you're driving on a highway, and you're doing 75 miles an hour, and 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 it's been raining, you you might want to judge, discern, and slow down, because you might get away with coming around that curve when the when the when the uh, when the road is dry. But now the word the now the road is slick, and you're and you, and you have not adjusted your speed, you have not judged, you have not discerned correctly. The Bible does not tell us not to judge. It tells us to judge in righteousness. It tells us not to judge without knowing the circumstances. That's what a judge, a judge, he or she listens to the evidence and then makes a decision. But when you read Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, judge not lest ye be judged. Then he goes on and says other things that lets us know. He's He's telling people not to judge incorrectly, not to judge harshly not to judge by the flesh, right? Solomon judged when the two prostitutes came to him and each said that, that the dead baby was the others and the live baby was their own. Solomon said, bring a sword. I'm going to cut the baby in half. And, and when, and when he said that it evoked such an emotional outpouring from the real mother, the real mother said i'd rather that that other lady that other prostitute i'd rather she have the baby even though it's not her baby than for the baby to be cut in half solomon said that's the baby's mother solomon judged he used his god-given wisdom to discern what was true and what was false so the bible doesn't say don't judge and that's a that's a trick of the enemy Uh, To use uh, people, oh, why are you judging me? And there are times that we do judge incorrectly. We do judge falsely. We do judge by some rumor or something like that. That's what the Bible is speaking against, about judging unrighteously. All right. So we can't be afraid. We cannot be politically correct. We cannot be afraid to test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. We're living in an age, and it shall get worse and worse, we're living in an age of false teachers, of false prophets. Many of them under the guise of Christianity. Not all of them, many of them are in other religions that have nothing to do with Christianity. But many of them are in the Christian church. Remember Jesus said, let both grow together until the time of the harvest. Many of them are in the Christian church. Otherwise, why would Peter say what he says here? He says in First, in Second Peter chapter 2. But there were false prophets also among the people. He's talking about during the Old Testament time. Even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily, privately, subtly, like a snake, they shall bring in damnable heresies. They shall bring in false teachings into the Christian church. They shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them. Did you hear that? Even denying the Lord that bought, not brought, not B R O U G H T, B O U G H T. Even denying the even denying the uh the sufficiency of Jesus sacrifice at Calvary's cruel cross, even denying, even saying, even teaching that when jesus died on the cross it wasn't sufficient there will be teachers teachers in the christian churches who deny the 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 technical term is the efficacy denying the efficacy the sufficiency of jesus death at calvary's cross teaching that jesus had to go into hell and be tormented by satan to achieve our salvation is blasphemous It's blasphemy. It's blasphemous. It's blasphemy. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, it's it's finished. His death at Calvary's cruel cross is sufficient. What shall wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. When Jesus shed his blood at Calvary's cruel cross, it purchased our salvation. There's nothing else Jesus had to do except, of course, rise from the dead. But there was nothing else. Jesus didn't have to go into hell and be tormented by Satan for three days. That's a satanic lie. It's a lie. And I'll say it to the face of anybody who teaches it. It's a lie. Jesus' death on the cross. He said it is finished. The veil in the temple was torn in two, giving us representing our our free access to God, representing our free access to the holy of holies, representing the fact that his flesh was torn for our sins he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed from the ravages of sin but there are false teachers in the church who teach who teach even today even in 2020 for false teachings never go away like a virus they mutate and reappear they never go away. The the 1918 flu that killed at least 50 million people, that virus is still around. It has mutated into different forms. That 1918 virus, though, is still around. It mutated into the 1957 flu, the 1968 flu, uh, the, the I believe it was the 2016 flu, the H1N1, because the, the 1918 flu was an H1N1 flu. And that's why we don't have a cure for the flu, because it mutates. It keeps it keeps running the okey-doke. It, it, it mutates. That's why we can't come up with a... That's why when you get a flu shot, the flu shot might only be 40-50% effective, because you might be getting a flu shot for one type of flu, but that particular season, another variation of the flu might come along. Well, that's how false teachings are. False teachings never disappear. They just reappear under 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 different names under uh under different variations, because Satan is their father and he's the master of mutation, he's the father of lies, he's the master of mutations, and he's able to send false apostles into the world, including into God's churches. Peter said there will, there'll be false teachers among you who privily privily shall bring in damnable heresies." Even denying the Lord that bought them and they shall bring upon themselves these these false teachers swift destruction. The problem is before they bring upon themselves swift destruction, Peter says in the next verse, and many shall follow their pernicious ways. Now, why would many follow their pernicious ways? One of the main main reasons many follow false teachings is because false teachings tickle our ears. They scratch our itching ears for something new, for something palatable to our flesh. Instead of uh, instead of following Jesus, instead of following the uh, teachings of the apostles and the prophets, instead of taking up the cross daily and following our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, many want to follow these pernicious ways, these damnable heresies, these false teachings, which promise us plenty. They're like clouds without water. Clouds promise to refresh you. But they're clouds without water. They, they they promise much; they give nothing. These false teachings that deny—listen, even deny the Lord who purchased our salvation at Calvary's cruel cross. Let me say that again: even denying the our, even denying the Lord Jesus who purchased our salvation at Calvary's cruel cross. To teach that Jesus' death on the cross is not sufficient, that he had to go into hell and be tormented by Satan, beat flogged by Satan for three days. That's a damnable, it's a satanic, it's a heretical teaching. It's wrong. It's 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 of the bottom it's of the bottom floor of hell. It's the bottom floor of the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. Jesus died on the cross and his death on the cross is sufficient to give us everything that pertains to life and godliness sufficient for our salvation. If Jesus did anything after he died, he went into, if he did anything after he died before he rose from the dead, if he did anything, he went into paradise. And if there were two sections of paradise, one for the wicked and one for the righteous, the old Testament righteous saints, if he did anything, or Hades, I should say, not paradise Hades, if he did anything after between his crucifixion and his resurrection, he went into hades and 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 it's possible there were two sections of Hades, one for the wicked, where the rich man was, and one for uh the righteous, where Lazarus was, and the old Testament saints. And he released the righteous from Hades. And that might be the bearing, of, that might be where we get the scripture that says, He led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. So if he did anything between his crucifixion and his resurrection, and there is evidence that he did, he went, some people say he went and preached a revival down in hell. Okay. If you want to use that terminology, he, he went into Hades into the part where the old Testament saints, including Lazarus, who had been treated so badly by the rich man, which is described in Luke. And he, he, he set them free and now they are in paradise awaiting their resurrection. He did not go into hell and be tormented by Satan. Uh, anybody teaching that is, is 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 wrong, capital W-R-O-N-G, wrong. But remember, you've got these false teachers, and it says, Many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth, watch this, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Now, what is these false teachers' motive? Because everybody has a motive for doing things. And through covetousness. Shall they, with feigned words, make merchandise of you they they're, they're covetous, they're greedy, and through feigned words or words of pretence, words that have no sincerity behind them, they'll make merchandise of those who listen to their false teachings they'll make they'll, they're going to pimp you, they're spiritually pimping you whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not in their damnation slumbereth not and then peter goes on to talk about if god spared not the angels who sinned he's not going to spare these false teachers false teachings then we have a passage from both first timothy we have several passages i should say from first timothy and from second timothy i'll read the passage from first timothy first the one from first timothy is in first timothy chapter Uh, four, same Paul, same apostle, same Holy Spirit. He says, now the spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith. They shall give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines or teachings of devils. Let me say, let me read that to you again. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly. The Holy Spirit is, is being specific. This is the, Paul says this is the Holy Spirit. This is not my opinion. This is not the opinion of the other apostles. This is not the opinion of an ecclesiastical board we got together like we did in Acts 15. This is the Holy Spirit, God Almighty. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. If a person's conscience is seared with a hot iron, you, you can't tell them anything because their conscience is seared with a hot iron. I use the example if you tie me down and put an iron, hot iron on my hand, I'm going to scream in pain at first. But after you ro- after you've uh, after you've uh, rolled and rubbed that iron on my hand for a few minutes, the nerve endings are going to be killed. I'm not going to feel the pain any- anymore. Well, the person whose conscience has been seared with a hot, hot iron, their conscience is dead. No matter what you tell them, no matter how eloquently, how patiently you show them from the scriptures, it's not going to matter. Their their conscience has been seared with a hot iron. Forbidding to marry. Commanding celibacy, even when celibacy is unreasonable, even when celibacy would cause other problems. Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God has created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused, if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Paul says to Timothy, if thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. He says, Paul says, what well, I'm telling you, I need you to I need you to tell other brethren. He says, I need you to ordain uh, uh, um, um, holy men who shall be able to teach others also. Because Paul was saying, Timothy, you can't do this whole thing by yourself. You need to ordain others who can help you in this work. They've got to be holy. They've got to be faithful. Don't just ordain them because y'all play golf together. Don't just ordain them because they have a seminary degree. Don't just ordain them because they're the president at the bank where you do business. They've got to be holy and they've got to be full of faith. They've got to be full of godliness and wisdom. Now listen to what I'm going to say from Second Timothy. Same Paul, same apostle, same Holy Spirit, speaking to Timothy in his second epistle. Paul said, "I solemnly, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. By his appearing, oh, and his kingdom. At his appearing, and his kingdom. At his appearing, Jesus will appear for the church, will be raptured, and will stand at the judgment seat of Christ. At his appearing, but also at his kingdom. The kingdom judgment, that's a different judgment. He says, "Preach the word. Be be ready. Be ready. Be ready. Be ready. Don't let anybody." Paul says to Timothy, "Don't let anybody dominate, manipulate your time. You've got to spend time with God and His Word and prayer. Do not, as a as a pastor, as a bishop, as a leader, because it's tempting, because you want to tend to your flock and you 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 you." You've got to be able to designate that you you can't let the people put you on a guilt trip because you got to spend time with God. It is amazing if you look at surveys about how much time pastors spend with with the Word of God. You you'd be amazed at how little that time is. It, it, it just cannot be. You cannot let anybody. I like what the apostles said in Acts chapter six. They said we don't have time for this matter where the there were certain people who thought their uh, their their people were being neglected in uh, uh, in the ministration of the things of the church, and they said we cannot leave the word of God in prayer. That's when they ordained the first deacons, and the word deacon, of course, means servant. Do not let anybody whether I'm not a pastor, do not let anybody whether you're a pastor or not, do not let anybody anyone. Distract you from spending time in God's word and prayer. Do not, it's a trick of the devil. If you're only spending five minutes a week in God's word and prayer, you're being deceived. You must spend time in God's word and prayer. Whether you're a pastor or not, you've got to spend that time with the Lord. Look, look, look what Paul said to Timothy preach the word. He said, be ready. You can't be ready to preach the word. If you don't know the word, you cannot be ready to preach the word. I'm talking about really, uh, uh, expound on the scriptures the way they should be expounded on. You cannot be ready to preach God's word. If you don't spend time in God's word, God, God ain't just going to bring it to you. Remember he can't bring the, rem- God cannot, he's not going to, he's not going to bring your remembrance when ain't there. How how is God going to bring into your remembrance something that you never thought about? <laughs> Bringing to your remembrance means something that you meditated on previously. Do not, I repeat, I beg you, I beseech you, my brethren, my sisters in Christ, do not neglect to spend time with God in the Word. You can do it, but but you'd be surprised how you can uh, knock out three chapters of scripture while you're walking through your subdivision, you know, while you're social distancing or whatever. You'd be surprised how you can knock out a half a chapter of scripture in five minutes here and five minutes there, and me meditating on it that that whole time. You'd be surprised at the time we spend, you know, uh, binging. On Law and Order, or binging on uh, Game of Thrones, or, or binging on uh, Orange is the New Black, or binging on whatever we binge on, we could take a lot of that time in spending God's Word and prayer. Preach the word. Be ready in and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort, with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure a sound doctrine. That time is here. People are not enduring sound doctrine. People have itching ears. They, they want to hear what they want to hear. It's like the people who don't want to continue in wearing masks and social distancing. They want to do what they want to do. They want to do what they want to do. Uh, you know, we haven't had great leadership at the at the federal level. That's not helping any. But people want to do what they, they want. There are a lot of people. They they I, I go shopping at the supermarket. There are people in the supermarket no mask on, because people are selfish by nature. They want to do what they want to do. The hell with everybody else. And I I, I don't understand how these stores are making their employees wear masks, but they're letting people come into the stores, shoppers. With no mask, I guess they're afraid they'll lose the business where I would have a big sign saying no mask, no entry. You're not wearing a mask. You can't come in. Take your money somewhere else. Now, you know, but you got to I guess you got to have a certain amount of uh, fortitude to do that. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own Desires. They will accumulate for themselves, teachings who will satisfy their own desires. If your if your desire is based on greed, and the fulfillment of the lust of the flesh, that's the kind of teacher you'll be you'll you'll you'll, you'll gravitate toward, and you'll you'll be able to find that teacher. It Won't take long. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. Listen to this. And they will turn away their ears from the truth. And they will turn aside to myths. The King James says fables. But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. He says, but Timothy, now don't you take any part of that. Don't, don't you be involved in all that foolishness. He says, endure hardness. You're, you're a minister of the gospel. you you got to endure hardness as a good soldier of the cross. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. All right. Any spirit of teaching that denies who Jesus is, including his incarnation, is not of God. Nobody who denies who Jesus is, is speaking by the Spirit of God. Paul says nobody speaking by the Spirit of God is going to throw Jesus under the bus. He said that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And nobody can say that Jesus is Lord, except it be by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself said, when the Holy Spirit has come, he will glorify me. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. So anybody who's teaching and preaching and and, and doesn't glorify Jesus Christ is not speaking under the unction, the inspiration, the leading of the Holy Spirit. If I'm sitting here glorifying myself and justifying myself, exalting myself, I'm grieved. I've grieved the Holy Spirit. I'm not in, in, in union. I'm not in Uh, On one accord with the Holy Spirit. But if I'm glorifying Jesus Christ, who he is, what he has done, what he's doing, what he shall do. Then I'm in one accord with what the Holy Spirit says about Jesus. Jesus said he shall glorify me. We must realize that. Though the actual Antichrist has not yet appeared. The Antichrist has not yet appeared. The spirit of Antichrist is already here. John said that almost 2,000 years ago. The spirit of Antichrist is here. Anti meaning against or instead of. Anti meaning A-N-T-I, against, like an an anti-aircraft missile would be a missile that is against that aircraft and is trying to shoot it down. The spirit of Antichrist is already here in false teachings in those who would deny what the Bible says about Jesus. That's the spirit of Antichrist. The key to discerning whether a prophet or body of teaching is false is, what does he or she believe about our Lord Jesus Christ? That's the only question you really have to ask. If you're confronted by people who come to your door or whatever, if you're confronted by anybody, all you got to ask is, what do y'all believe about Jesus? You ain't got to go into a whole... Around the world to do dissertation, what do y'all believe about Jesus? That that right there, that 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 fulfills. I I guarantee you, a hundred percent of the time, that will let you know if those people are God honoring, Christ honoring people. Oh well, uh, 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 remember uh, I I go back to this a lot, but I need to go back to it right now. When Jesus confronted his disciples. In in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said to them, um, come here, boys, I want to speak to y'all for a second. He said to them, uh, whom, whom do men say that I, the son of man, am? What's the word on the street, if I can put it in my own language? What's the word on the street about me? And they said, oh, some say you're John the Baptist. Remember, John the Baptist had been beheaded by Herod. So there was a a thought, a belief among some that that John the Baptist had come back from the dead. Some say you're Elijah. Remember, Elijah had gone to heaven in in a chariot of fire. He hadn't died. He's one of two people in the Bible who never died. Enoch was the other one in Genesis and Elijah. Those are the only two individuals in the Bible who never met physical death. But went to heaven, Elijah went in a chariot of fire, and Enoch said, the Bible says he walked with God for three hundred and sixty-five years, and God took him a type of the rapture of the church. He walked with God, and God took him, snatched him up. Oh, some say you're Jeremiah, cause Jeremiah was carried off after his prophetic ministry. Jeremiah was carried off into in, Egypt, and never heard from again, so there's there's a belief. Uh, that he, he was possibly buried in Egypt. So some say you're Jeremiah or you're one of the other prophets. Then Jesus turned the attention away from the word on the street, the word at the barbershop, the word at the sports bar, the word at the beauty parlor, right? Whom do you say that I am? Now he's speaking to the church. I heard what the word on the street is, that I'm this prophet of that prophet, that prophet of this prophet, this holy man or that holy man. What do you say? What does the church say about Jesus? Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. See, the, the word on the street, that'll be all kind of different stuff. Some of it good, some of it not so good. Some of it blasphemous. Some of it will honor him, but, but not honor him to the pinnacle, highest pinnacle of glory, which is what he deserves. Because he's our only savior, because he loved us so much that he died at the cross for our sins and God bodily raised him from the dead. So he deserves honor just as we honor the father. He, Jesus said it himself in John 5 and 23 that we should honor him just as we honor the father. He who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. I always give the analogy. If I send my children to you and you disrespect them, slap them around, beat them, kill them. You dishonored me, their father. You can't dishonor my children and then smile in my face as though you're honoring me. It's not going to happen. Jesus said, after they told him what the word on the street was, he says in verse 15 of Matthew 16, well, whom do you say that I am? See, he he used the other one about what do what, what what are they saying? Jesus really used that as the setup, right? That's his setup argument. What do y'all say? Now he's speaking. Now he's speaking to the individuals where it counted the most. What does the church say? See, it's one thing for the people down at the strip club. You know, I don't. We don't expect the people at the strip club to to to, to honor the Lord Jesus Christ as much as the church. Oh, whom do you say that I am? See, the church cannot say the same thing as the world. The world can say, oh, he's a righteous man. Oh, he's a good man. Oh, he was like Muhammad, you know, a good teacher, a moral teacher. Oh, he's like the Dalai Lama, a moral teacher. Oh, he's like the Buddha, you know, the Hare Krishna. Oh, he's a, you know, he was a, he was a holy man. He might have been born of a virgin, you know, but probably not, because that story comes from old mythology, Phoenician, Babylonian Philip. So the world is going to have a lot of different things to say. But the church cannot say, oh, well, well, you know, whatever. The church has to be bedrock in what it believes about Jesus. Whom do you say that I am? And Peter Answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That statement right there. Hallelujah to the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That statement right there is the gospel. You Oh, you're the Christ. See, Peter didn't equivocate. He didn't waver. Um, you're, uh, you might be a holy man, you know, uh, you're the christ you're the christos you're the anointed one you're the one predicted by the prophets of old you're the one whom moses promised in deuteronomy the lord your god will raise up a prophet like unto me hallelujah to the lamb of god oh you're the christ oh you're the son capital s-o-n you're the son of the living god and then peter went on and said blessed are you simon bar jonah which means son of john then before peter could pat himself on the back and congratulate himself jesus said flesh and blood didn't reveal that unto you peter but my father who is in heaven and i say unto you that you are peter you are petros the greek word means a rock and upon this rock petros upon this rock i will build my church Jesus said, I'm going to build, I'm going to build my church, my church, not, not y'all church, not the banks church. I'm going to build my church upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So when Peter made that statement, Jesus said, "I'm, I'm going to build my church upon that statement that came out of your mouth. I'm going to build upon your statement and the statement of the other apostles and he was, of course, including Paul, who, who was not a part of the apostolic company at that time. I'm going to build my church upon those truths of the gospel. And then he says, I would build up my church upon the that rock and the gates of hell. He's saying the kingdom of Satan himself, because gates represent a kingdom. The gates of hell, death itself, because Satan's main playing card, If you, I don't know how to play poker, but... If you play poker, you've got certain cards that 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 are, that are more valuable than others. I know about Tunk and blackjack, but I don't. I never learned how to play poker. But Satan's main card that he uses is death. That's why the Bible says, when we are raised from the dead, we're going to finally be able to say.